You're listening to Everybody Pulls the Tarp, the go-to podcast for high performers. I'm Andrew Moses. Each week, you'll hear my thought-provoking conversations with Olympians, pro athletes, CEOs, elite coaches, best-selling authors, and other high performers to uncover their secrets to success. Get ready to be inspired each week when we talk about leadership, teamwork, work ethic, and more. Are you ready? Let's go. Hi, everyone. Let's get into it and pull that tarp. My guest today is a Super Bowl champion, a pro bowler, NFL analyst, and an MMA commentator, the one and only Ryan Clark. In 2007, Ryan faced a life-threatening illness and returned courageously the following season to continue his career. Few prepare and hone their craft like Ryan, and he's one of the highest energy guys in the business. There is so much we can all learn and apply to our own lives from Ryan's story. If you enjoy our conversation, be sure to subscribe to Everybody Pulls the Tarp in your favorite podcast app and leave a review to help others find the show. Ryan, welcome to Everybody Pulls the Tarp. Hey, man, how you doing? You know, I'm starting to kind of get used to the MMA thing. It's still, it's still a little weird and uh, a little different. I forget that I actually have a show with uh, Daniel Cormier. And so it's pretty cool to hear what I'm introduced. Well, we're going to get into it all, Ryan. Where I want to start, you know, is way back. I, I want to, you know, go back to just after your time at, at LSU, you go undrafted and then get signed by the, the New York Giants. Talk about that period, having a lot of success at LSU, but being undrafted. How do you process that and then take the next step in your career? I've always been kind of like level-headed. I've always understood things, I think, from a different level. I knew about mid-season that I hadn't played it as well as I had the two previous years in my senior year. And Coach Saban actually pulled me in to have a conversation before we played Kentucky. And he was like, Ryan, like, I've just never seen you play like this. And what I told him was, I was like, look, coach, I'm not making plays. I was like, our corners aren't playing well. We aren't great in the secondary. I've been trying. And he just goes, just calm down, man. Just relax, you know, go play ball. I finished the season pretty good, played well. But, you know, I was 190 pounds. I wasn't a 4'3 guy. I, I didn't necessarily blow the roof off of the combine or the, or the pro day because I didn't even get invited to the combine. And so you start to know that that's kind of where you stand. I didn't get any bowl games, any of those things. But the other thing was, though, I had played at a high level in the SEC before. You know, I'd played against all these dudes. They were telling me we're going to get drafted. I had played better than them in Spurs. And I knew if I got my opportunity, you know, and I got a fair shape that I could make it. And, you know, luckily for me, you know, I got an opportunity in New York. And I was there for two, you know, two really good years and taught me a lot. So sticking with that period at LSU, you play in 36 consecutive games, incredibly consistent. Any secrets? How did you stay healthy? How did you stay consistent, you know, in that regard? Hard thing to do. You know, it's crazy, man. Like injuries are like injuries. You can't necessarily control them. Somebody rolls up on your ankle or, you know, you blow an ACL or you hurt a shoulder. Like you just can't control those things. But when you think about, when I think about my total career, I never missed a high school football game. I didn't miss a college football game. I missed a few games in Washington. I missed two games for my shoulder. And then, you know, obviously I got really sick in 2007 and I missed a lot of games that year. But I think, you know, getting two organs removed and a piece of your liver should give you the opportunity to miss a couple of games. You know, but other than that, man, I stayed really healthy. I was really blessed in that regard. And I think that leads to having long careers. But in college, I mean, you know, you feel invincible at 18, 19, 20. 
You know what I mean? You'll run into anything. And it's not like you were enjoying your Saturday nights in Tigerland. I was being a college student. I was, I was living life and I played the game at a, at a high level and I played extremely hard. I didn't think about those things. I didn't care about those things. And luckily enough, I was blessed to be healthy. So you got to have a little luck. You got to be a little naive and you, you, you just got to go with the flow. We're going to get into the whole experience in 2007 in a little bit, because obviously, obviously, there's a lot to, lot to discuss there. When you get to the NFL, what's the biggest surprise for you at that point? That it wasn't as hard as everybody said it was going to be, honestly. That it wasn't you know, as hard as everybody said yeah, it was going to be. Yeah. I think people preach that to me so much because I was undrafted. You know, and it's like, it's like even now when I talk to people and they ask me about my career, if they're not like you who, you know, who studies the game and who knows, like people think I was drafted. I'm always asked that question. What round were you drafted in? And I have to explain to people, well, I wasn't because they see 13 years and the rest of it. And so getting there, everybody's like the learning curve is so hard. But I was always just in a very intelligent player. You know, I had Coach Saban who made you make a ton of checks. I went to a private high school. And we checked defenses in high school. And that was, you know, it was my job to get us in the right defense. So I'd always done all of those things. So intellectually, the game was easy for me, you know, and I knew I was on the right path. And I knew that from an intellectual standpoint, I was different when the veterans started making fun of me, right? Like when veterans started calling me a nerd, when veterans, when I'd make a check or get the whole defense lined up and veterans would say things, oh, look, it's Mr. Smarty Pants that's when you know you're on the right track, right? Because they start to feel it a little bit. You know, there starts to be a little bit of intimidation. Like, oh, this 21, 22-year-old kid can handle everything they're throwing at him. And I played every position as a rookie. I played dime. I played strong. I played free. I played nickel. And so being able to do that is honestly what helped me get, get into the league. And so I just think it was a little simpler from a mental standpoint than people explained it to me. And the other thing was, is like my first play, I'm on punt. I'm, I'm on the gunner on punt. We're playing the New England Patriots in the preseason. The two guys standing across from me, and this is honest to God truth, were Lawyer Malloy and Ty Law. That's the double jammer on the other side. And so like, I'm all nervous. I'm not realizing that like Pro Bowl and all pro players don't play hard in the preseason. So I'm basically shaking in my boots like these two dudes finna hem me up and throw me under the Gatorade jug. And so like I, I, I shake Ty outside. I split lawyer to the middle i get down i make a play and i was like oh this is the nfl i'm good uh obviously it wasn't that easy but it was just some of those experiences that at least let you know you belong so i want to go back to the point you made ryan about the veterans starting to make funny a little bit starting to pick on you for being so well prepared maybe processing things intellectually a little different than others do so at that point do you feel like an outsider do you feel like you belong do you feel um, like you're just bringing something different? I mean, you don't, you don't, you definitely don't feel like you belong being an undrafted guy because people don't really treat you like you do belong. You know, they, they don't necessarily, you know, I'm there with Jeremy Shockey, who was the number one overall pick that year for the New York Giants. He's obviously treated much differently than I am, you know, and other picks. And so, no, you don't feel that. Like, you feel the urgency of having to be better than everybody. You feel the urgency of having to be different. I remember when we left from minicamp, you couldn't bring your playbooks home. And this is before iPads and all those things. So your playbook was actually this thick binder with all the papers. And I had become friends with the young man that worked the front desk at the hotel we were staying at. And he let me run off like 200 pages of copies 
so I could bring home the playbook. And, you know, I just remember just little things like that was always the way I approached it. I really wanted to feel like if I didn't make it, I had given everything I could. I had done, you know, turned over every stone. I had looked under every rock and that was my approach. And so, you know, you still feel like an outsider kind of until you make the team. And I think, you know, and once you make the team and you're in the locker room with 53-man roster at the time, you know, 60-man roster, if you had practice squad, now you start to feel like, okay, you know, I'm one of the guys. And, you know, the older guys are like, hey, man, I'm going to pick you up and take you to a next game tonight or we're going to go out to eat. We'll scoop you up. Then you kind of start to feel like, okay, man, I belong with these dudes and they've accepted me. I love the story there about making the copies in the hotel office to get an edge and get a little more information, like a little more time with the playbook. This show is called Everybody Pulls the Tarp. And it's all based upon a philosophy that I have that great teams and great organizations are powered by individuals who contribute in unexpected ways. And it all goes back to one of my first internships. I was working in New Jersey, you know, okay. not too far from Giant Stadium for a Yankee minor league team. And mm-hmm. I show up thinking I'm going to learn the business of sports. And they tell me to bring a pair of old shoes, a pair of old clothes, and be ready to help the grounds crew pull the tarp on and off the field. Right. And my listeners have heard this story many, many times. But it's one of these stories that has stuck with me because I pulled the tarp 15, 16, 17 times that season. Mm-hmm. And then as I went off into my career, which wasn't in sports, I began to realize that the most productive, the most successful, the, the teammates I wanted to have around me and whatever it is I was doing were these tarp pullers, these people who were willing to go that extra mile to do a little bit extra, yeah. to print those 200 photocopies, to do whatever it takes to be successful. They weren't going to say, you know, this is my title. This is what I'm entitled to. This is my job. They're willing to do whatever it takes. So I love that, that story, Ryan. As you think about you know, your career, and again, 13 years in the NFL is no small feat. That is quite an accomplishment mm-hmm. you know, in, in, in the league. When you think about your ability to prepare, how did you maybe go about your preparation differently than others that drove some of your success? I think it evolved. Right, Your, my, my preparation evolved. It evolves as you get more money, obviously, because now you can, you know, hire more therapists at different places. But it was always big on film study. Uh, I just, I still remember the story, pretty cool story, I guess. My first year in Washington, my family didn't come up because I was picked up the day before camp. I basically waited 16 weeks to be released because I was like, I know at some point they're gonna just pick somebody up who's a better football player than me. But my family didn't come up. So, you know, obviously I wasn't getting good home cooked meals for my wife. So I go to Boston Market all the time. So I would go to Boston Market. At the time, you had disc, right? So you had to put the disc into your computer or watch it or whatever. And so I would just go to Boston Market and then just go back to the facility to watch film. And so I remember, man, it's like nine o'clock. Joe Gibbs is the head coach. You know, he has that voice. Hey, guys. So I hear him walking down the hall. I'm about finished watching film. And I was like, you know what? I should just pretend like I'm going to use the bathroom just so he sees me, right? Just so he even knows I'm here. So I do, I walk out, he bumps into me. He's like, hey, right, how you doing? I was like, hey, coach, you know, how are you? He's like, what you doing? I was like, you know, I'm sitting here, coach, watching some film, catching up with some third down. So I had started playing by this point. And he goes, he starts the, the next meeting. And he's like, you know, guys, I was walking out of my, my office at nine o'clock last night. And I saw Ryan Clark. He was here studying film. It's like, no wonder why he's played dime for us. He's played the nickel. He's played strong. He's played. And it's so cool. When I, my first actual action for Washington at the time was the second half of the Giants, the Giants game. Tom Coughlin had just released me that May, told me I wasn't big enough, wasn't strong enough to hold up in the league. He didn't think I could be a safety in the league. 
and I'm at the using the euro no, it's weird. And my safeties coach is next to me. He's also using the bathroom, which makes the story weird. And he goes, he looks at me, he's like, Hey, you play strong safety? And I was like, Yeah, coach, I know it. He's like, You're in the game. And that's how I play. You know, if now honestly, whether I knew it the the information or not, I would have lied and said yes, but I did know it. I understood what my responsibilities were. I go out, I play well in the second half. He starts to give me more and more opportunities. Matt Bowen, who was the starting free safety, goes down two weeks later. I'm inserted as the starting safety in the next two years. Sean Taylor and I are the safeties for Washington. So is, is it like this belief and confidence that you have because of kind of you know, where you've been and the, the people who've helped you get where you are? Is it just this innate ability to out-prepare others, to have the information, to feel? How did you, you, you said there, you were going to feel ready regardless. How, how do you feel ready? I think, you know, I, I get a lot of questions now from the guys I train at DB Precision about how to study film. And I always tell them you have to develop your own way to study film. Like you truly do. You got to figure it out yourself because it's about how you retain information. I've always, like even in college, you know, I had the sickle cell trait. I didn't realize how that would affect me. But I was always first when we ran 110s, when we ran gassers, 40s. I was always that dude. You know, I won the award for, you know, whoever worked out the hardest that summer my scene. So I was always that. But from a mental standpoint, if you told it to me or I saw it, I never forgot it as long as it pertained to football. And so I remember Matt Bowen, who I mentioned, just like kind of having a fit and just laughing about it and also being a little bit disgusted in that we'd go to meetings. They tell me the tips and tendencies of teams. You get a 10 minute break and then you'd go to walkthrough. And whatever formations it was, whether it was three by one, slot formation, eye formation, if they gave me four things to watch, I could name all four things 10 minutes after they told it to me. It was just how my brain worked. And so then being in that my brain worked like that, I now understood what to look for when I studied film. And so I think my preparation was good because it excited me that I was good at it. You know, like it was like, okay, I know if I watch this film, I have all this information. I'm going to be able to go back to practice and help, whether it's Troy, whether it's Ike, James Harrison, whoever it is, all of these great playmakers, I'm going to be able to help make them better because I can tell them where to be. You know, I didn't have the stuff Troy had, but I had something different. And then having something different and us using, using those things together, you know, it made us a great duo. It made us a great secondary, which made us a great defense. And so I think it was just the excitement of what the preparation made me, how good I was at it that always made me continue to do it. And, you know, I tell the guys all the time, you don't prepare to win, right? You prepare to make the other team beat you. And what I mean by that is, if Randy Moss catches a bomb on me, but I knew exactly what was coming, I lined up deep enough, I was in the perfect position, and he just jumped over my head, that just means he left the hospital with more than me. But if he beats me because I didn't know what was coming, I didn't understand the play, I couldn't anticipate, then that's my fault especially if they've shown it to me. And if you walk out of, the, out of the stadium and you can say, you know what, Tom Brady was better today. Randy Moss was better today. But they did not work me. They did not work I love that, Ryan. I think, you know, one of the things that stood out to me there is, I mean, so much, but when you unpack it and you talk about learning how, like, each individual learns, right? You figured out how you needed to watch film, how you needed to process the information. One of the things for me is like, I like to read a lot, but I don't necessarily retain the information really very well. So I'll like highlight and underline a book as I'm reading it. And then like, I'll come back to it a month or so later and I'll 
I'll kind of flip through the things I highlighted and I'll write down a lot of the stuff that I highlighted or underlined onto index cards. And then I'll just stick them in a box. And then when I, you know, when I'm looking to kind of gin up some creativity yeah. or I think about a topic, I'll go back to my notes, you know, in the index cards or in a notebook. You have mm-hmm. to kind of learn, I think, like you described there, how everybody's going to process information. Everybody's going to remember things differently. It's, it's about figuring out your own processes, right? You know, it absolutely is. And I think that's always the hard part when people ask me, you know, how to watch film or how to do certain things. And so what I give them is a template. You know, I say, well, if I had this on Tuesday, I'll tell you this on Monday, if I, you know, and I'd go through it. And I'd always tell them, I never looked at film, notebooks, anything the day before the game, anything the day of the game. Because my thought process was, if you have done everything you were supposed to do, if you studied the way you do every single week and the way you feel like has prepared the best, then you shouldn't have to cram. And if you have to cram to learn it, then it's not that important. And you know that process always relaxed me because if I got to Saturday for a Sunday game and I felt like, man, I've learned everything I could possibly learn. If I'm in walkthrough, I know every formation. I know what the plays are. I'm like, I'm ready to roll. And there was always comfort in that. And I think most of all, that's what you're searching for. You're searching for the comfort of knowing you're absolutely prepared as best you can possibly be for this opportunity. That's really spot on, Ryan. And it doesn't matter whether you're an NFL football player, medical student, high school, you know, uh, high schooler yeah. trying to ace their math test. It's all, it's all about, you know, or, or a, a, a sales VP going into a sales meeting, making a pitch. It doesn't matter. It, it's about, did you do what you feel you needed to do to put yourself in the best possible position? When you think about kind of the, the influence, I mean, you talked before about printing out stuff and now it's all on iPads. When you talk in the past, when you reflect on kind of where the game is today, iPad, data, analytics, camera angles from every mm-hmm. direction, do you think that there's that we're almost at like an information overload for some point now? Sometimes. I, I, think, I think sometimes we know too much. We know too much about one another. We know too much about ourselves. And from a, a, a learning standpoint, as sports is concerned, I just think you can now overanalyze. You know, you can you can start to look at things too deeply because sometimes it is surface. Sometimes if if you understand that, you know, Ezekiel Elliott is the way the Cowboys like to move the ball best, then understand he's going to run in between the tackles. Don't overthink it. Don't overthink it that when Tony Pollard is in the game for the Dallas Cowboys, most of those runs are off tackle because he's the speed guy. It's when you really start people start diving into it and looking too deeply. Let me look at the numbers. Let me look at the yards per carry. That's not really what it's about. Some of life is about feel. Some of life is about chemistry, is about atmosphere, is about energy. And I think some of ball is as well. And I believe we're trying so hard to take away variables that may cause adversity because we're so scared of adversity now, right? Everybody wants everything to be so easy and they want everything to be so comfortable. We want to be so comfortable is to know that we don't challenge ourselves. We don't push ourselves. We don't want to go into the unknown. And sometimes the, the unknown gives us some creativity and gives us some invention from the necessities of trying to overcome those adversities. And so, yeah, I think sometimes it's too much information, but I also think that information makes people comfortable. Ryan, you talked about, you mentioned the word adversity there. So let's talk about what happened in 2007, because I think that that's a great segue there to that part of your life and career you have the sickle cell trait, the high mm-hmm. altitudes in Denver, amongst other factors, caused a severe reaction 
mm-hmm. in 2007 resulted in um, you know the removal of your spleen and your gallbladder, but you came back. Talk about that experience, you know, kind of from the time it happened to, you know, did you always know you were going to make it back? No, hell no. I didn't know I was going to live, you know. I didn't know that I was going to ever get out the hospital. I didn't know if I was going to ever make it out of my bed some night. And that was crazy. It was one of those things where I remember the night it happened, I go to the hospital, I kind of tell them what's going on, and they send me back to my room. So I'm in Denver. I call my wife and I'm like, okay, this is how I feel. And, you know, she loves me. She's like, I'm calling the doctor. I'm calling the team this, the team that. And I remember, man, I took a shower. I took a cold shower and I turned the air conditioner down really low. And I just laid on the floor naked because I was like, maybe I could numb myself and this pain will stop. And um, we get back two days later and they're telling me that I should be able to play. I have what's called a splenetic infarction, which means parts of my spleen died. And um, I'm not, I can't even walk right, but I'm trying to jog around the field because they're telling me that I have an opportunity to go. By the time I go in the hospital, a, a little over a month later, I'm down from 205 to 175, 160. By the time I get out of the hospital, you lose your organs. And I just remember the doctor telling me, when you're cleared, we won't know if you can play. But this was only after he told me, had I not called him on Friday, that I wouldn't have made it through the weekend. You know, and so you hear some of these things and you realize that, you know, that you're here for a reason. And then the next was the challenge of coming back. You know, I'm 160 pounds and I can't do a pull up, you know, and I'm a professional athlete. I couldn't do one pull up. You know, I was in it's one of those humbling experiences because as a young man, you think you'll always be able to do everything. And so, you know, get the opportunity to work through that summer, work through that offseason and just run out of that tunnel as a starter to play the Houston Texans to begin 2008 and then to end that season, you know, laying in confetti uh, in Tampa Bay. It's one of the greatest experiences of my life. One of the greatest moments of understanding that God had his hand on my story. And, you know, I'll never forget it. I'd be afraid to go to the grocery store, you know, after having organs like that removed. I, I don't know how you, you know, build up the courage to go to, you know, to get back on an NFL playing field. So you, you talked about laying in the confetti. Let's talk about the Super Bowl, Super Bowl champion. I've always kind of been curious, and I always ask you know, the NFL guys when I talk to them who've had a chance to go to the Super Bowl. That has to be one of the, the most difficult experiences kind of in sport because you know, it's on a neutral site, lots of distractions. You're kind of out of your routine. There's all this other stuff going on. And you're only, oh, by the way, playing the biggest game of your life. How do you deal with the distractions, kind of stay focused and, and succeed in, in, in an environment like that? I think you, you try to prepare the best you can. You understand that it's different, but you also know it's what you've been working for your whole life. And for us, it was making sure everything was done before we got there. The tickets, the family, all of these extra things, making sure your treatment was set up. And really, it doesn't quiet down until about Saturday night. You know, uh, Saturday night comes, you go to a different hotel. You're not staying where the family is no more. You understand it's just time to focus. And it just becomes football. Then The national anthem is different. The jets flying over sound different. They look different. The stand seemed more packed, more excited. But something about playing football that happens is when you're on the field, everything zeroes in and all you see is the people on the field. You don't see the sidelines. You don't see the stands. You don't see any of that. You know, all I see is, Kurt Warner, all I see is Edger and James, Anquan Bolden, Larry Fitzgerald. And it just was football. It's like playing in your backyard then. 
And you're not thinking that this is the Super Bowl. You're thinking that this is third down and six. And I know I'm getting a high low and I got to break down to tackle Larry Fitzgerald. And he just, you know, ran over Brian Dawkins two weeks before. And so that's kind of how you focus on it. And I think that's the beauty of sports. That's the beauty of competition. That if you're truly, truly engaged in what you're there to be doing, the rest is just a blur and fades away. I think it all comes back to like what you said there, preparation, Ryan, right? Like the good, solid preparation, knowing your systems, your habits, you know, what, what makes you tick is, is such a huge factor, whether you're playing in the NFL, you're doing something in business, you're doing something in your community, you're a teacher, you're a math student. It doesn't matter. It all comes down mm-hmm. to preparation and then feeling comfortable when you're in that zone. Before I let you go, Ryan, I, I want to have a little fun and just talk about this, all this stuff with the, the, the NFL taunting penalties. Your tweet the other day, you know, it's, it's almost as bad, if not worse, as the college targeting penalties. What, what are we going to do here? We're gonna, I mean, I know sportsmanship is, is important, but ha- we're taking the fun out of everything. But that's not sportsmanship. You know, making a play and looking at a guy and clapping, that's not taunting. That's not disrespect. You know, the, the, these men, one, have worked their entire lives to be at the NFL, their entire lives. Two, they've worked all week to make whatever play it is that they made that they're excited about. So you're telling me I can't be excited? So you're telling me that I can't look at this guy or that I can't clap or that I can't flex or that I can't scream, hell yeah. Like, that's ridiculous. We're adult men. And as long as it's not getting to the situation or getting to the point of disrespect, of, of violence, let them, I mean, if you want to throw a peace sign at me because you burnt me, good. You should because you burnt me. That's your, it's my job to keep you from doing it, right? If you want to flex like this after you run me over, good, because it's my job to keep you from doing it. No, because and the other point is you got to know you flex like that. You got to see me later. You know, like that's what's fun about ball. It's the competition. It's the excitement. It's knowing that the fans who are in this crowd screaming because you scored a touchdown, letting them know you're just as excited. And, you know, this new rule, man, you get two of them, you're kicked out of the game. I just think it's some bull crap. I think these men have worked long and hard enough to understand, you know, what's over the line. And we will also police what's over the line. And so. I hope it changes. hope it's one of those things that gets to like the middle of the year and the officials are told to lay off of it a little bit. Don't call it as much because it's ruining some of these games. Well, Ryan, it's been so much fun spending some time with you. You surely have pulled the tarp throughout your career. You're continuing to do it with, with, mm. your, with your community, charity work and everything. And you know what? We should be proud celebrating that, right? We should be proud celebrating Absolutely. that type of stuff. So, Ryan, thank you again for spending some time with me this week. Yes, sir. Keep pulling the tarp and we'll we'll keep rooting for you, Ryan Clark. All right. Thank you for joining me this week. Be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you can catch all of our upcoming episodes. And if you are like me and want a world full of tarp pullers, then leave a review to help others find us. You can also follow me on Instagram at andrewmoses123 and sign up for my monthly email newsletter at everybodypullsthetarp.com slash newsletter. I'll share tips and insights to help you achieve maximum success and happiness. Today is a great day to pull the tarp. I am rooting for you. See you next time.